0: Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment, and place them in the official pop pantheon. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pop Pantheon. This is DJ Louie. I'm so excited to be back here for this hour Fifth installment of the series. It is an honor to be with you as it always is. I want to start out by extending a special thank you to every single person, and there were many of you who reached out to me regarding last week's installment about Madonna. And uh, told me that you took the time, some of you who had said to me, you know, I haven't listened to Madonna since her sort of peak periods in the 80s and 90s. And I took the time to go listen to her later work. And actually, I like MDNA or I like Madame X. And look, I'm so happy for that. I personally don't need them in my life, but it makes me so happy to think that there are those of you out there that are getting turned on or exposed to music that maybe you hadn't given thought to before so so happy for all of you i also want to note the very special occasion that was pointed out to me last week by a listener that last episode was the first time i got through an entire installment of pop pantheon without dragging Katy perry so woohoo for that I thought that that was worth celebrating. I know everyone has brought to my attention that I do that every episode inadvertently. Again, I will say I love her. I can't wait for cast And uh, yeah, but we did make it through a whole episode without referencing Katie in a negative light. And I thought that that was worth commemorating. So I'm not going to gab too long on here right now. We have a meaty episode coming up, but I'm just going to give my kind of laundry list of things that I like to say before the podcast starts, which is that if you are enjoying this journey that we're on together, please, if you can... Take the time to spread the word to other people. Tweet the episodes out. Put it on your Instagram. I would really appreciate it. Uh, I'm looking to grow the audience on this podcast. And all of you who are listening to it and have told me how much you're enjoying it, it would mean everything to me if you could just help spread the word to other pop-minded people that might be interested in hearing in-depth over analysis of pop stars and help me sort of get the word out there obviously the other main way to do that is to give me five stars on apple podcasts and leave a rating or review you can talk about whatever you want you want to talk about your personal problems you want to ask me dating advice you want to talk about whether you feel like xyz artists got underrated or overrated on the podcast i don't care what you say in there just write a review let me know something And that really helps get the podcast in front of other people. So any of that would be so, so greatly appreciated by me. We are also on social media at PopPantheonPod, mainly on Instagram. The Twitter, I haven't quite figured out yet. It exists, but I don't quite know what I'm doing with it yet. Mainly on Instagram, PopPantheonPod. Come give us a follow. We play lots of fun games on there. And after this... Uh, Every episode now, I'm going to start putting questions and engaging topics up there for us all to debate about the episode that week. So go over to there for more tangentially pop pantheon related content. And I also wanted to bring up something that friend of the pod, Catherine, brought to my attention last week, which is this app called Shuffle, which you can automatically download your podcast feed into and allows you to sort of like engage in conversation with other listeners as the episode is playing. So you can kind of talk with other people via text, like as you're listening to the episode and we can all sort of engage in public there. And I thought that that would be a really fun thing for Pop Pantheon and for everybody listening. Cause I know everybody likes to chime in. This is, uh, I know a group of people that have a lot of opinions on pop and want to share there. So let me know what you think about that. And we can sort of help push that and make that more of a community activity for this pod. I also want to say that if this is your first time listening to the podcast, this concept is centered around a pantheon of five tiers in pop culture. There's tier one, the icons, which are the pillars of the genre. There's tier two, the megastars, which are one notch below them still mega famous people, there are, with a lot of longevity, there's tier three, which are the superstars of the moment and the people that had sort of one brief three album, two to three album run. There's tier four, the working class pop stars who are sort of always around but never really have a major moment or uh, kind of are one album wonders, that kind of thing. And then there's tier five, everything else, which frankly is a tier that I'm actually about to address in more detail on a later podcast because we have made a certain change to that particular tier but I can't show my hand on that one yet so you're just going to have to stay tuned on that but if you want more details on how the Pantheon works you can go back and listen to the mini-sode in this feed which says uh, what exactly is the Pop Pantheon it's not required you will fully enjoy the podcast whether you do that or not this episode centers around a tier 1 or tier 2 debate which is pretty interesting but again if you just feel inclined to do that and you want to hear more about the Pantheon itself the episode is called what exactly is the Pop Pantheon and it's the first episode in this feed But that's about it for me today. I want to get into the episode, which is so fucking good, and I can't wait for you all to hear it, and it is about someone that I think is going to be expansive to our concept of what the pop pantheon is in the 21st century, in the third decade of the 21st century. Let's put it that way. We need to expand our understanding of pop, and this artist really is the catalyst for that understanding. So without further ado, here is Pop Pantheon Episode 5, Drake.
1: I you know a lot of girls be thinking my songs are about them, but this is not to get confused. This one's for you. So, baby.
0: let's talk Drake. In terms of sheer impact on the aesthetics of pop, on placing hip-hop at the center of popular music where it currently reigns supreme, of blurring the lines between the two genres, and in just flat-out numbers, no artist has had more influence over the sound of the last decade than Drake. After starring on Canadian TV in the teen cult phenomenon Degrassi, Drake was introduced to most pop fans in the late 2000s as both a prominent protege and signee of rap titan Lil Wayne, and through his extraordinarily popular mixtape So Far Gone. So Far Gone presented Drake as somewhat of a new paradigm when it comes to rappers. His pedigree was not rooted in the most common streetwise hip hop tropes we'd come to know at the time but was instead about turning the drama inward, with self-reflective, over-analytical, often dour, heart-on-his-sleeve lyrics presented with vocals that blurred the lines between classic rapping and melodic singing, a radical innovation for its time. So Far Gone also presented Drake as Pop's newest lovable goofball on the first hit single of his career, Best I Ever Had.
1: Every time I hit up, when I get right I promise that we gon' live it up, she made me beg for it, till she give it up, and I say the same thing every single time, I say, say you the fucking best, you the fucking best, you the fucking best, you the fucking best, you the best
0: I ever had, best I ever had. If So Far Gone and a prominent run of features on hits by Wayne, Nicki Minaj, DJ Khaled, and Rihanna turned Drake into the buzziest rapper of his generation, his debut, 2010's Thank Me Later, and more importantly his second album, 2011's Take Care, solidified him as a proper superstar. They featured hits like Find Your Love, Miss Me, Headlines, and The Motto, and found Drake doubling down on the unique aesthetic of So Far Gone sparse, artful, often sullen music that continued to break down any barriers between bars and melody. These records center Drake as one of the biggest stars on the planet, and on the vanguard of popular music's future, where genre would continue to fundamentally disintegrate. Their massive success also had seismic effects on the way that all of popular music sounded thereafter, and therefore positioned Drake, a rapper, as undoubtedly one of the biggest centrist pop stars of his generation. Smoking weed under star projectors,
1: I guess we'll never know what Harvard gets us. But seeing my family have it all took the place of that desire for diplomas on the wall And really I think I like who I'm becoming There's times where I might do it just to do it like it's nothing There's times where I might flow like 50k on a
0: vacation For all my soldiers just to see the looks on all their faces all And Drake's run of success only built through the 2010s Albums like 2013's Nothing Was The Same and 2016's Views, along with smash hit mixtapes like If You're Reading This It's Too Late and More Life, continued to grow Drake's fame, influence, and expanded his singular aesthetic, which at that point had filtered down through both pop and hip-hop to great effects, an artist as far-ranging as trap rapper auteur Future and New Zealander pop star Lord. They showcased Drake's ability to omnivoriously absorb subgenres, trap, dancehall, afrobeat, 80s synth pop, into his sonic world without ever losing the essential Drakeness of everything he touched. And everything he touched turned to gold. It would be hard to overstate Drake's dominance over both hip hop and pop in this period. He was, in a word, the king of both genres and made them completely inseparable. Drake has also proved himself to be a masterful user of social media and the internet, making music videos like Hotline Bling that were tailor-made to be memed, or generating massive interest in beefs with rappers like Meek Mill and Pusha T, and of course stoking endless rumors about his romance-slash-crush on Rihanna. And now, more than 12 years plus since So Far Gone, Drake's run has continued pretty much unabated. His most recent album, for instance, 2018 Scorpion, featured three number one hits God's plan in my feelings and nice for what definitive singles of the end of the last
1: decade and last and
0: as always in these little bios the numbers don't lie Among the world's best-selling musical artists, with over 170 million records sold, Drake is ranked as the highest certified digital singles artist in the United States. He has won four Grammy Awards, six American Music Awards, a record 27 Billboard Music Awards, two Brit Awards, and three Juno Awards. Drake also holds several Billboard chart records. He has the most top 10 hits on the Billboard Hot 100 ever, the most charted songs with 231 of any artist in history, the most simultaneously charted Hot 100 songs in a single week with 27, the most continuous time on the Hot 100 with 431 weeks in a row, and the most Hot 100 debuts in a week with 22 in a single week. He also has the most number one singles on the R&B Hip Hop Airplay Chart, the Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs Chart, the Hot Rap Songs Chart, and the Rhythmic Airplay Charts. On the pod today for a bit of a supersized episode on perhaps the most influential pop star of the last decade is Wall Street Journal digital editor Miles Tanzer. As you'll see, Miles is a veritable wealth of knowledge on both Drake and pop music over the last decade plus. So this convo really runs the gamut and touches on all aspects of Drake's career, along with the massive impact it's had throughout both the pop and rap world since his emergence. We also get into a first for this podcast that I'm wondering uh, might be a little bit controversial, a true debate over whether Drake has ascended to the top tier of this pop pantheon. It's a beefy episode, guys, but it's really a fantastic one, so let's just get right down to it, shall we? All right, so I'm here with Miles Tanzer, digital editor of The Wall Street Journal Magazine, and longtime friend, I would say. Right,
2: Miles? Yes. Hi. Thanks so much for having me.
0: (laughs) It's my pleasure. I feel like we go way back at this point. Time flies.
2: We do. We definitely, definitely do.
0: I'm so happy you're here, and I think I might have alluded to you in our pre-roll emails here that, like... As a gay male pop fan running a pop podcast, we have yet to address a male on this podcast. So,
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's much like my iTunes listening history. like They don't (laughs) pop up too often, so I'm happy to bring the first.
0: Me too, and I want to test the limits of this podcast in many ways, and I think our subject today does that on a number of levels, of course, being a man, but also how i kind of want to start us off here is with the question of is drake a pop, even a pop star you know so this is a podcast about pop stars and one thing that i was sort of thinking about and that i want to get into the convo uh, sort of in this frame is for a long time pop music and what was the most popular were sort of synonymous so mm-hmm. You had a certain brand of music and a certain mold of being a pop star that was the center of popular music. It was sort of like frothy singing radio uh, hits as we used to sort of know them in like the in the monolithic days of radio. You danced, there was a certain presentation about it, and there was also a certain kind of music. It was bubbly, it was super broad and accessible. And for many decades, that was the mold of pop. And that was what was the most popular music. And in the last 10 or so years, I feel like there's been a pretty major fundamental breakdown of uh, those two things being in sync with each other. The sort of bubblegummy pop that used to be, for the most part in the last few decades, the most popular kind of music has almost receded and become niche in its own way. And hip hop has sort of emerged as the central most popular genre in music when you're looking at charts, when you're looking at Spotify. Most of the music on there is much more either directly hip-hop or adjacent to hip-hop. And that sort of frothy pop that we once thought of as the unbreakable center of pop music is not there anymore. So Drake, to me, is the catalyst for that or one of the main catalysts for that. And just makes me question, you know, I guess I want to start off by asking what I said at the beginning, which is, is Drake a pop star.
2: That I I think the shortest possible answer is yes. I think before we talk about that though, it's like pop music was considered bubbly and all those things because for a long time pop music was considered white music and like there mm. was a distinction between artists like Michael Jackson broke that mold. And so none of this would have been possible without him, which is complicated for a million reasons, but <laughs> I mean the way I think you are correct in that hip-hop for a number of years now is the most popular form of music in the world and not just the United States, which is another huge factor too. You know, the globalization of listening habits between Spotify and YouTube and all of these platforms. Hip-hop is king, and for a very long time, including, I would argue, still now, Drake is the king of that. So I think you could argue in a lot of ways Drake is one of, if not the biggest pop stars in the world bar none
0: yeah i agree i mean do you think drake would classify himself that way
2: i think he pokes fun at it like you know pop style his songs like he frequently references the fact that like he is king you know he i'm sure we're gonna get into charts later for the majority of his career especially what a lot of people consider like the strongest years of his career he was not the king of the charts but His music was insanely popular and that in itself created this interesting sort of thing where like Drake was a megastar of like unbelievable kind of influence, but at the same time wasn't really seen that way. And the world has kind of caught up to him in a lot of ways, I would
0: say. Right. And his influence has filtered through both hip-hop and pop in a way that has almost, like, remolded it in his image. Almost. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, you wouldn't have The Weeknd without Drake, but at the same time, you wouldn't have Drake without The Weeknd.
0: Nor would you have, you know, Billie Eilish, I don't think. Nor no. would you have Lord. or, you know, and I think we mm-hmm. ne- we'll get into, as we get into this, more about why exactly that is. Totally. But in terms of this rapper-as-pop-star mm-hmm. paradigm, would you classify Drake as... The first rapper who is squarely also a pop star, or, you know, I think back, uh, my brain goes back because I'm old to Jay Z. Mm -hmm. And I think about sort of Jay Z as a fundamental inflection point in terms of a rapper who very actively and successfully over a long period of time treaded the line between mainstream popular success and being sort of a credible rapper but there was always sort of a dichotomy it always felt like Jay-Z was a rapper who could cross over into pop and have pop hits but he was very much still classified as a rapper which at that time felt very cordoned off from being a pop star. It felt like a totally different ecosystem, even if it intermingled. And it certainly did. I mean, there was a whole era at the beginning of the 2000s where, you know, 50 Cent was the biggest, you know, artist on earth and Ja Rule and all of these rappers who would often collaborate with singers and create sort of a hybrid of hip hop and pop. But I guess I, looking back, I don't know that I would feel comfortable calling Jay Z a pop star, even though he was obviously a very popular performer. Yeah. You know, th- one of the most.
2: Yeah, I think Jay-Z did an incredible amount to move kind of the needle into making hip-hop and rap the most popular music in the world. And without his influence, that wouldn't have been possible. But I agree with you that, like, the first thing that came to my mind when you think of Jay-Z is not pop star. I would say, like, also, like, I think Eminem had a lot to do with moving rap music into popular music, Again, he was a wider face on MTV and TRL, translated into his music defining pop for that era, and you know, the way he was always talked about in the same breath with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, you know, he was a very piece of pop culture that kind of connected with pop music.
0: But Slim, what if you win? Wouldn't it be weird? Why? Guys, can just lie to get me here, so you can sit me here next to
1: Britney Spears. Shit, will ever better switch me chair so I can sit next to Carson Daly and Fred
0: Durst and hear him argue over who she gave head to first. Little bitch, put me on blast on MTV. Yeah, he's cute, but I think he's mad. Yeah, and, and one thing that's interesting, I think about Jay Z and Eminem that I think also highlights Drake's innovation or one of the major ones is. The other thing about that era in crossover rap stars of, you know, in the Jay-Z Eminem era is there always felt like there was this sort of like delineation between their radio music and their sort of like, this is my for the streets music. Like mm-hmm. I remember Jay-Z used to get clowned all the time for making change clothes or making songs that were more squarely aimed at having pop radio hits. Mm-hmm. And there would always sort of be like, you'd go on the album and you'd listen to the black album and you go like, oh, there's the radio song, there's the song for the, you know, that's more for rap fans, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So there always was this sort of dichotomy that went on in that era.
2: Yeah, you're, you think of even just Nelly, Sweat and Suit, you know, like, you had a (laughs) lot of rappers, like, even though, like, Nelly was, again, like, probably closer to a pop star than a rapper, but, like, you had a lot of people creating, like, Double albums, double personas, you know, collaborative albums for, like, different audiences. Whereas now, I think Drake does represent a change where it's like, no, this is just me, and I'm I'm the biggest, and I'm just going to be myself, which is kind of groundbreaking in a
0: certain way. Completely groundbreaking. And I think just Drake's groundbreaking came on in so many different forms. It was aesthetic. It was presentational. It was in this innovation of breaking down this line between rapping and singing. But in terms of talking about rappers as pop stars, I don't think we can move on from that historically until we bring up Kanye Mm -hmm. as perhaps maybe the uh, the only rapper I can think of prior to Drake that I would maybe more or less classify as a pop star. I don't know if you think that. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. But I do think Kanye was a forebearer to Drake in, aesthetically, but also in terms of Kanye very much consciously wanted to be the biggest pop star in music. That was the impetus behind a song like Stronger. That was the impetus. You know, he 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 made naked grabs at that and sort of, in, a, in I don't mean that as in a derogatory way. I mean that in a in a groundbreaking way. He was the artist that sort of like started to really, really actively say like, don't put me in this box. Don't put me in that box. I'm not just a rapper. I'm not just this. I'm the biggest thing in music, period. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think like the most obvious line to trace between Kanye and Drake is 808s and Heartbreak." Like, it, you would not have Drake without that,
0: that album. Yeah, talk talk um, more about that. So 808 and Heartbreaks, for anybody who isn't aware, was Kanye's fourth album. And it was sort of a huge turning point in his career. His his first three albums were humongous, breakthrough, giant successes. But 808s and Heartbreaks came quickly on the heels of the, his third album, Graduation, and really uh, reimagined, like, his sound. It was very sparse. It was super introspective. And yeah, so can you talk to us a little bit about 808s and Heartbreaks and what the impact, what the sound of it was and what the impact of it was?
2: Yeah. And I mean, there's always discussions. I feel like the like shorthand is like, it was the first pop, hip hop, sad album about feelings, which like is true, but it's not true. Like in terms of like popularization, sure. Yes. But like rap has had many artists and albums who talked about their feelings openly, like that's not a thing. But that's So you,
0: you actually, you don't buy that at all, huh? Like no, what, wait, what, what, what are other albums you turned to prior to that, that, that you feel like fit that paradigm? I
2: mean, just rappers like Scarface and just like, I mean, there's just like a ton of rappers who like openly, you know, discuss what they were going through. Right. Tupac. You know, even Jay. Yeah, yeah even right. Jay, like some of his songs, you know. But I would say just with 808, it's like the work between there's so much singing on that album there is so much use of synth there's so much kind of insane ego exploration of his of of the varying
0: layers of his psychosis exactly
2: So heartless. And not to mention the aesthetics of it, you know, the way he was wearing suits at that time. I mean, suits throughout his career are really important to Kanye, but at the same time, like the designer aspect of that era and like the signature with the heart and like the performance of at the VMAs, like with the little white keyboard and just him on the stage, like it was very much like, I am an artist, I am to be taken seriously, I'm the biggest person in the world, and like I'm grieving. And like that is such. That's such a turning point for his career. And I think for just pop music in general. Yeah,
0: I I completely concur, you know, potentially the most, um, if not the best, the most important album maybe of the century or one of them in terms of pop music. I agree. For all the reasons that you say. And not the least of which being that it did so much lay the groundwork for Drake. I mean, even simultaneously, if you look at the timeline I believe 808 and Heartbreaks came out in 2008 and Drake's first mixtape so far gone came out in 2009, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. So what is it exactly that Drake takes from Kanye's 808s and Heartbreaks and other parts of Kanye's aesthetic? Kanye's, you know, even prior to 808s and "Heartbreak." you know, was seen as innovative and I I take your point clearly that that narrative is too neat and clean and there were plenty of rappers throughout time that have explored their emotional lives and have created raw introspective work. But let's just put that aside for a second because there's no question that Kanye was the biggest, boldest version of that. Like Kanye was Mm -hmm. willing to not be seen as a lot of the tropes that hip hop had been known for before that he was willing to not be seen as a gangster. He was willing to not be seen as like hard all the time. What are the things that Drake extrapolates from what Kanye's doing in that era that he then sort of takes and brings into his world at the beginning of his career?
2: Totally. I mean, the most obvious one is like on so far gone, which is Drake's first mixtape, which was his breakout. He had released other songs and to go back even more, you know, he started as this actor from Degrassi. He was known right. as
0: this like pretty boy from Canada, and then right. he released- meaning there was no way he was going to be like a hard rapper. You know that no. was that 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 was shattered from the beginning. No, no, no.
2: So with So Far Gone, he raps on a Kanye B um say you will on Drake's song say what's real, and so you have that like literal direct like here's what I would do on this song, and it's clearly just like it's right at the center of the tape. Um, and it's a song where he just raps bars, bars, bars.
0: Yeah, let's hear a minute of both Kanye Say You Will, which is the first song in 808s and Heartbreaks and sort of illustrates the sound of that record. And then hear a moment of Drake's Say What's Real, where he takes Kanye's beat and it almost serves as a bit of a torch passing. moment. you will.
1: Mrs. Crash lands in
0: my room
1: position in from fitting in to standing out Los Angeles Cabanas or Atlanta South watching whole show embarrassed to pull my camera out and my mother embarrassed to pull my phantom out so i park about 5 houses down
2: whether his song he's rapping on a song it's the it's the most obvious connection but at the same time other moments from that tape too you know i don't think you get drake rapping on top of like a peter bjorn and john song without right. like <laughs> kanye being into like indie music and you know having that as as touchstones and have it be like cool
0: that makes me think of something which is another element of Kanye that I think Drake has taken and blown to the most maximalist extent, which is this Kanye's non-fealty to what hip hop was supposed to sound like and an omnivorous suctioning in of every possible influence and genre without limitation. So mm-hmm. stronger was seen as so innovative because of Kanye's willingness to like dabble in electronic music and dance music and he always he drew samples from so many different artisans as you were saying Drake rapping over Peter Bjorn and John which is was a you know indie uh, an indie act of the late 2000s represented sort of like that was radical at the time that was Mm -hmm. like something that hit that rappers didn't normally engage with sort of indie pop indie pop or indie rock music Mm -hmm. so i guess i want to drill down a little bit on like what drake was doing taking the ball from kanye on those early albums what was the idea like the sort of generative idea behind the drake project writ large like what was he doing what was he rapping and singing we, we, we sort of nailed the musical element there was a breakdown of sort of what rap could sound like what genres it could suck into it there was the dour sparse 808s and heartbreak sound that drake built on with his primary collaborator 40 but there was also a approach to themes and lyrical content that was seen as innovative i know you're saying that that's maybe overrated But I'd like to hear you talk about maybe a little bit what was seen as innovative about what Drake was rapping about at that time. And, you know, if you want to get into if that's overblown or not, you know, you can you can talk about that, too.
2: Actually, before I came on, I was thinking and I think you were the one who introduced this concept to me of like playing music for the guys and playing music for the girls like right (laughs) was that yeah i think yes that's a me thing that's so a you (laughs) thing but drake interestingly i feel like has moved from like originally i think drake was music for the girls and has moved into making music for the guys like Mm. over overall his career and like in these beginning stages i think especially with thank me later his first studio album that was music for the girls which is like I think why I loved it so much it was fun music it was party music it was he was rapping with Nicki Minaj he was singing a lot you know I think of like find your love from that album like that is a pop song like that is a straight right. up like there's, there's no
0: rapping happening on that song yeah, yeah.
2: and like even just produced like, by Kanye <laughs> just yeah so you know, to bring exactly I better
1: find your loving. I better find your heart I better find your loving, I better find your heart, I better find your lovin', I better find your heart, I better find all my love
2: then nothing's gone. Then on the on that album you also have Miss Me, which is like a rap song, you know, and but like right. because of the fact that it was with Wayne and it was like that moment with like the free wheezy moment, like it it's pop because it's pop culture because it is insanely popular.
1: I said, tell me what's really going on. Drizzy back up in this thing, I'm ready. What's happening Gone for surgery, but now I'm back again. I'm about my paper like a motherfucker scratch and win. World series attitude, champagne, bottle life. Nothing ever changes, so tonight is like tomorrow night. I will have a moment. So
2: you have this kind of shift in presenting both at once he's making like pop music and rap music that's acceptable for pop and I think the fusion of that even from his first album was like undeniable for radio it was undeniable for listeners and it was extremely appealing music
0: totally it was like this combination of him not having concerns about the line between rap and pop and also this mining himself emotionally in ways that felt extremely modern and not tied to past rap tropes. Maybe it's not so much that he was opening up more than past rappers had, but there was a sort of modern way in which he was doing it. There's sort of that like millennial, overly self-reflective, overly self-indulged sort of experience with our emotions, uh, yeah. constantly tracking our emotional states <laughs> and like this egomaniacal thing that I think was very much part of your and I's generation and Drake's generation that he really traded in and utilized and put into his music.
2: Yeah, I definitely think a lot of that came with Take Care, his second album. But yeah, but even on the first album, you know, like the song that really broke him out as like a standalone person was Best I Ever Had. And he's so corny on that song, like in an amazing way, but like, right. Sweatpants, hair tied, chilling with no makeup on. Like, I'm sorry, no one else is rapping that besides Drake.
1: Sweatpants, hair tied,
2: chilling with no makeup on. That's when you're the prettiest. I hope that y'all don't take it wrong. And like, right. That to me is like so distinct of why he's a singular talent because he can harness that and sell it to people and people believe it and people are like, cool, that sounds great. I'm into that. Whereas like, no one else can do that.
0: Right. Like, and, and one thing you're you're making me think is sort of a willingness to be a cornball. Like, that was so antithetical to rappers prior to that, even in the Kanye. I mean, Kanye is a, a cornball in his own ways. But <laughs> Drake was proudly a cornball in, in that early era. And I think the other key piece to this, which we've hinted at, but I think is really so important to everything that comes next, is the further breaking down of the line between rapping and singing. We talked about Find Your Love being a purely sung song, but even when Drake is rapping just on an even more straightforward rap song, there's a constant melodic nature to what he does and a move between sort of like bars, 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 sing. Bars bars sing
1: I know I exaggerated things, now I got it like that. Tuck my napkin in my shirt cause I'm just mobbing like that. You know good and well that you don't want a problem like that. You gon' make someone around me catch a body like that. No, don't do it. Please don't do it, cause one of us goes in and we all go it. There's
0: so there's so many of those elements in there. And whereas um, you know, we talked about how there was a coordinating off between pop instincts and rap instincts in some of these prior rap superstars that crossed over, that Drake decided those two things don't have to be separated. Like yep. we're gonna be all of those things at one time.
2: Yeah, I think of he just hinted at it a little bit, especially with like the neuroses and everything, but on Take Care, I think he really puts like ink to paper on that where he is straight just, up like before you go on i'm just gonna totally. position the audience yes. so we have
0: drake emerges in 2008 with so far gone that's his mixtape it's a huge buzz i mean he made a million off a of mixtape as he famously said it was a uh, critically acclaimed beloved it made him a super a rap superstar basically at that point then we had his first record which i actually think was somewhat of a not a commercial disappointment by any means, but was sort of like when I look back at it, as you're as we're about to get to, the project really comes together on the second album, which is Take Care. So now we're in 2011, I believe, when that album comes out. So anyway, go ahead. You were going to talk to us about how the ideas of Drake and everything we've sort of set up here really lands in fully formed form on Take Care, his second album.
2: Yeah, I think a lot about people's iconography as, you know, emerging as a fully formed character. And I think between the mixtape and the first album, there there were a lot of hints to who this person was. And then on the second album, it comes out so strong between just image of him on the cover looking sad with the chains and like it's literally just like you're like oh that's who that that's who this is that's who drake is like i get it now a sad king yeah he's a sad king alone that is such a distinct cover right who's
0: very much caught up in his own psychodrama
2: exactly and the album starts with over my dead body where he's just going between singing rapping and telling you these like horrible thoughts and just like he's being so emotional and then it's just like oh okay that's who you are like it's such an introduction to a person that you already knew it's Mm. it's like a clarifying statement almost to me yeah that's what this whole album is
0: i completely agree and to show my hand here it's still far and away my favorite drake project there's a vulnerability present on that album that is so gripping to hear from a straight man who is a rapper. I know we've talked about the things that, that there is groundwork laid for that, but there was something so raw. And the song that really sticks out to me on Take Care that really I think is illustrative of that to the highest extent is Marvin's Room, which is a song where Drake is sort of like basically leaving like a desperate voicemail or something like that. Yeah. Too. yeah. And it's, it's very intimate and raw in a way that I don't think, even if we were primed to some degree, I don't think we were really ready or had ever really heard a rapper just that open hearted. It's it, I get tingles thinking about it, you know, so. Cups of the rosé Bitches in my old
1: phone I should call one and go home I've been in this club too long The woman that I Try is happy with a good guy, but I've been drinking so much that I'm a caller anyway and say, Fuck that nigga that you love so bad. I know you still think about the times we had. I say, Fuck that nigga.
2: yeah it's inc- it's a heartbreaking sign i mean this person is. is like a miserable person yeah. and <laughs> right it's just i mean it's clear that like bad things have happened to him and he's really sad but It's so on it. It's, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to listen to in a lot of ways. It is.
0: And when I think about like the the rap songs that laid the groundwork for it, for some reason, I keep wanting to say this, so I'm going to put it out there. I think about the Jay-Z song Song Cry, which was on the blueprint in 2001 and was for Jay-Z at that time seen as such a raw, vulnerable look inside of somebody that had such a Teflon personality. And The entire conceit of song cry is I cannot show emotion, period. So I'm gonna like let the song do the talking for me here. Like if I I I am in pain, but I can't show it. I am in pain, but I can't show it. That's sort of like the song cry, like thesis.
1: I can't see him coming down my eyes, so I gotta make the song cry. I can't see him coming down my eyes, so I gotta let the song cry. I can't see it coming down my eyes so i gotta make the song cry i can't see it coming down my eyes
0: so i gotta make the song cry and marvin's room is such a a a a contrast to that to me because it's very much like i'm gonna show you everything about me and i'm gonna even though i'm this big tough guy like i'm gonna show you like my heart yeah
2: it's probably still like one of his most definitive statements and the thing I love about this album is that it's such a coherent statement it's like Mm. it just makes from top to bottom it's like I'm showing you my emotions every single time even on the fun songs like make me proud with Nicki like (laughs) what kind of a hook is like I'm so proud of you like that is so painfully (laughs) earnest
1: I'm so I'm so I'm so I'm so I'm so proud of you I'm
0: so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you.
2: And like, I love that. Ernest like, is a
0: great great word for what, for Drake too.
2: Yeah, he, I mean, he's wearing everything on his sleeve, especially on this album. It's just like, the emotions are so strong.
0: And, and I think, all right, so, so that's the, uh, that's the thematic lyrical innovation slash codification of Take Care. We we're talking, you, you started to talk about the sound. What's the sound that is present on Take Care? Obviously, we've talked about 808s and Heartbreaks, but there's a very distinctive Drake sound that he creates with his cadre of collaborators, which mainly consists of 40, and then there's also Boy Wonder. There's a bunch of producers that are in his stable. Drake famously, when he became when he was coming up, did not go to the go-to rap producers of that day. You know, that was still an era where when you started to become a famous rapper, like you made a song with the Neptunes, you made a song with Timberland, you made a song with blah, 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 blah. Drake very much rejected that idea and worked in-house with a group of people and crafted a very specific sound that I would go on to say is the most influential sound of pop, therefore. So or what's the word I'm looking for? Henceforth. (laughs) So, so, so what I just would like to, again, sort of maybe try to get into like what's happening sonically because Drake is an omnivore with music. He, he, Draws. I had a thought in my run earlier that he's the he's very much uh, Madonna's child in many ways in terms Mm -hmm. of like spotting a subculture and going like all right I'm bringing this into the mainstream I'm bringing that into the mainstream so Mm -hmm. I mean if if anything makes Drake a pop star it's being Madonna's progeny but (laughs) I digress but everything that Drake sucks in Drake sucks into his world and Sonics and I just want to sort of help illustrate for the audience a little bit like what is that Sonic world. If you had to describe it, what would you say? Uh,
2: Just sonically, you can't talk about Drake without talking about 40. His his producer, Noah, who goes by 40, they've made everything together. Props to Jews in (laughs)
0: hip-hop. Yeah, Drake, too,
2: actually. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They've made everything together, and the way he's recorded... A, like, famous thing about it is that his voice is insanely loud. His his voice is in front of everything. Mm. And especially for the time, Amanda Petrozic has written about this for The New Yorker, and lots of people have talked about this, but, like, specifically for iPhone headphone listening, there is no one better than Drake because it's literally just him speaking directly into your eardrums because mm. he is, like, basically screaming on top of the music. That wasn't how music sounded. That was, like, a very... No. Smart innovation agreed, and
0: And then sort of on this bed of sparse, almost hazy, like every extra element is removed from the music. It's often dark, sometimes slow. I mean, there's, there's faster, obviously we have faster Drake songs, but even on a song like Take Care, which is an up-tempo song, there's a dour, intimate, self-reflective, quality to the sonic palette of the production. As you say, Drake is front and center, his voice, what he's saying, the intimacy of hearing him speak into your ear, and the music almost gets out of the way of that in a certain way. It's bare bones, but every sound is refined to its like maximalist form or something like that, and it creates this sort of like hazy, introspective quality in the sonics of it that matches almost and complements what he's doing with his voice i've asked about you and they told me things but my mind didn't
1: change i still feel the same what's a life with no fun please don't be so ashamed i've had my you've had yours we both know we know they won't get you like i will my only wish is i die real because that Eddie lies still so you cry still tears all in a
0: pillowcase big girls all get a little taste out pushing me away so i give her space out dealing with a heart you know, the I... other part that i want to sort of bring into here is pop so the, the the contrast here if we're talking about drake becoming a pop star is that while this is all happening while take care is you know helping make drake the biggest rapper in the world the biggest pop music and the center of pop music radio couldn't be more opposite than what Drake is doing on Take Care. It's Katy Perry. It's Born This Way. It's Kesha. It's this loud, in-your-face, broad, EDM-inflected, super bright-toned, maximalist dance pop music. You know, I think that's an important sort of, like, context to put this in. Because what Drake's doing, in a way, arrives like a stealthy ship in a submarine and sort of nukes Mm -hmm. that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I do think that, like, even in rap at the same time, you think of, like, all those insane Lex Luger beats and all of, like, maximalist big, big, big sounds. And at the same like time. Rick Ro- like Rick yeah, Ross. Like Rick Ross. Yeah, Rick Ross records.
0: I think I'm big
1: huh? Larry Hoover. Whipping work.
2: Hallelujah. And, and everything. And to have this be the counterpunch to that, it's just like. Oh, it's it's just him. It's just his voice. When really mm. like there's so much going on. Sometimes
0: sometimes the music reminds me almost like when you smoke weed and like all of a sudden you realize like you're too high and you're just so in your head. Like that to me <laughs> is like what Drake's music often like makes me feel. Like. <laughs> yeah.
2: Or took took a half a zan and passed out on yeah. the flight as he would do. <laughs> okay.
0: Exactly. So how does Post take care? We How do we start to see Drake's music filter through what we think of as more traditional pop music? So we were talking about briefly the EDM boom that, you know, which in a way was the, uh, was the end of a... 30 year era of like a certain specific kind of pop that I was talking about earlier in the podcast where pop had to be frothy, pop had to be fun, pop had to be broad, pop had to be all of these things in order to like get played on the radio. Drake is emerging at in this moment and sucking everything into his vortex uh, as he explodes as the biggest rapper in the world. And then as the EDM moment sort of starts to crash in 2012, 2013, I think we start to see the beginnings of Drake's children <laughs> who are not just rappers. You know, that's what's interesting. Like Drake's influence here extends so much further than in the rap world. It is in, he's fully ensconced in the pop world. And so I'd like to talk a little bit with you about sort of 2013, 2014, and more specifically, the people that I'm, you know, you can counter on this if you don't agree. The, the person that jumps to mind immediately, the two people that jump to mind immediately to, to me are Lana Del Rey and Lord in terms of artists, pop artists that refused to trade in that sort of bright maximalist aesthetic and instead were sort of taking what Drake was doing and bringing it into more conventional. Yeah,
2: I most I mostly agree, especially Lord um, and playing off again those like hazy synth sounds you think of like ribs. You think of all the songs from like Lord's debut and they don't really make sense without Drake making that music drink
1: you spill all over me lovers spit left on me
2: and with Lana too it's like again you have this like you have Drake as this character that of like sadness and misery and right. like <laughs> you have like Lana as that foil and it's it's actually kind of surprising that like they never worked together i mean she worked ex- she's worked with the weekend a bunch and like i guess that's how she's like embraced that sort of sound but yeah it is kind of surprising and when you
0: think of some of those beats on Born to die like if you think oh, of oh my god uh, yeah you know, those are straight up Drake beats. Like if you think of uh what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh uh maybe it's born to die, the song. I mean, mm-hmm. like the sort of like hazy, minimalist, very slow torch song, you know, with a hip hop sort of production quality to it beats. That is a Drake beat, more or less. You could picture Drake picking that up and rapping over it in two seconds. Mm-hmm. But that was very counter to what was happening with most of the big, you know, pop stars of that time. Like, that was very counter to Lady Gaga. That was very counter to, to um, you know, Katy Perry, to Kesha, to, uh, you know, to Calvin Harris, you know, all of the stuff that was so big at that moment.
2: But it is funny that at that moment, too, like, For Drake, that's kind of when he makes a pivot as well in 2013. He has probably his biggest song to date at that time, Hold On, We're Going Home. He kind of pivots to... Which is the
0: first single from his third record, which was Nothing Was The Same, which was the follow-up to Take Care.
2: Yeah, he kind of pivots to being a sweetheart, you know, and that's what Mm. makes him so clever in the fact that... He's like, okay, I'm the saddest human in the world. Everyone makes memes of me crying all the time. And he's like, (laughs) okay, and what am I gonna give you? He pivots twice in the same kind of moment where he gives you started from the bottom and he gives you hold on, we're going home. He gives you I'm actually a really hard rapper and right. like, I don't want Starting wanna... from the
0: bottom, I feel like was his most, was the beginning of an era that's sort of ongoing with Drake where he's like, actually, I am a hard rapper. You know, yeah. that, that sort of defined the latter part of his career.
2: Mm-hmm. And so you have that moment and at the same time you have, hold on, we're going home. So he's right. showing you two new sides of himself at the same time. Right. Which I think is like, it was a stroke of genius where it's like, you could have made take care. He could have made four more take cares, right? He could have made Oh, and then I had this breakup, and it was really sad. And, like, that's what a lesser artist would do. But instead, right. he pivots to, like, carving out two new roles for, roles for himself. One, this super hard rapper, which, like, again, we get to later albums like Scorpion, where, for the most part, that's mainly what he's doing.
1: Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team fucking here. And then we get right. to
2: Hold On, We're Going Home, which he envisioned as a song to play at weddings for the rest of time. Just hold on, going home.
1: Just hold on, going home. It's hard to do these things alone.
0: Just hold on, we're going home. Oh, oh, oh. And, he, and he succeeded.
2: <laughs> I mean, I want to I my wedding for sure. That, um, that, vi- that vision came to pass. Exactly. And that's why, in my eyes, he is a pop star. Only a pop star would say, I want a song that's going to be played at every wedding forever. Totally.
0: And I think that it's interesting, actually, in the context of what I was saying earlier, in terms of like, that is sort of a reiteration of the Jay-Z, I'm going to make change clothes and I'm going to make 99 problems. Like, it's, it is, it does Mm -hmm. sort of actually draw on that trope more maybe than his earlier music where it was all more of a whole. There was a moment, I guess, at that point where Drake did sort of want to also prove to the rap world that he was a rapper. Yeah. Um, I remember that. And the other thing that is coming to mind here, and I don't think there's any way we can separate this out, and Drake is such a savvy user of this, which is the emergence of social media and of streaming. I don't know when, Do you You might know this, when did streaming become like begin to become a thing? Yeah.
2: Drake's career is kind of, like, tracking with streaming sites in general, right? right? I mean, you have his mixtapes in the ultimate peak of faster Wi-Fi and everything to download Downloading mixtapes
0: mix was the thing. That was what we all did. Like, went to DatPiff and downloaded yeah, exactly. mixtapes.
2: So that's, like, why his mixtape breaks through so hard. That's, like, definitely key to that and that fact that it was more accessible than other mixtapes. Um right. And then you kind of have streaming that it basically starts for his first album and... Up until now, like it's a straight. Right, line. I'm, I'm, I just
0: googled it quickly, and Spotify launched in 2008, literally yeah, exactly. the year before Drake.
2: I mean, his entire discography—it's like a rise through the streaming era. And you see in his later career, like I mean, we'll we can skip all the way to now, where it's like the EP he just put out this year. The reason he occupies the first three spots on the Billboard charts is because he is like a streaming star. You know, you look at other pop stars and how they've dealt with streaming and they haven't been able to get their audiences in the same way. But Drake is like arguably... The first superstar of the streaming era.
0: Yeah. And, it, you know, it really makes me think when we are talking about why was culture receptive to what Drake's doing. I mean, streaming represents a real rejiggering of the sort of top down nature of pop music that had existed for so long. I mean, for years and years and years, the way that pop music worked was a label to radio basically pipeline. So labels would sign major artists, develop them, and then had, you know, very intimate relationships with radio stations and were able to work songs to radio and almost like assert them as hits. You know, that was sort of the way that music became popular. It was a very top-down enterprise in pop. So streaming has radically shifted that. I mean, now it's very clear to us, but even, I guess, starting in this era where this this is the people's choice you know in a certain way like drake is in a way the people's choice pop artist in a way that like maybe no no pop stars before were i mean it's hard to distinguish as you know and i'm i know you do too we love all the top down i mean we like we love lady gaga we love the, all these artists that came out in this other world but like drake and his continued success is like And so many rappers and pop stars that have now come after him are totally driven from the bottom up. Like if you think of somebody like a Billie Eilish who is 100% a product of the streaming era, her entire career has been driven by fans. Like it's not, and her entire success, of course there's machinations that go on behind the scenes still. But Mm -hmm. for the way more than things used to be in pop, everything kind of begins organically as a grassroots movement. And now we have a version of pop that uh, and pop and charts and all of these things that are driven so much by like what people organically gravitate towards. And he
2: kind of understood that. I think you think of the way that Drake positioned himself just as a human. Like it was literally like from the start of his career, he was like, "I am drilling it into his fans." He was like, "I am an underdog. I am an underdog." Mm. And like so, people really embrace that. And I think of like one of his Fader cover stories. Like there's a line. It's like about the fact that being a drake's fan is so fun it's like you're rooting for the underdog who wins every time how could you not right. love that?
0: well you know who he shares that in common with the other biggest superstar of in popular music taylor swift
2: <laughs> yeah exactly and they are like
0: so the same side of the coin for me like a hundred percent you wouldn't it's so funny because i think sonically you might not think of them together but they are so similar to me in terms of the control over the narrative as you said the sort of like perennial underdog thing which is like such a crock of shit ultimately they're the two biggest most famous successful (laughs) musical artists of the day but they both really have gotten a ton of mileage off of like that sort of like constant i'm the underdog thing i'm the i you know like you want to root for me you know it's it's and then you sort of take a step back and look at it and you're like wait a minute the underdog to who exactly yeah what are you talking about (laughs) but it's very successful so where are we now so we've talked about his emergence we've talked about this mid-period a little bit sort of where he's at once trying to prove his muscle as a rapper and also breaking down the idea that like any of the old tropes around being like an old school rapper matter. So sort of simultaneously on dual tracks. Now, you know, over the last few years, Drake is still the biggest star in music, probably, or one of them. What has sort of been the, the landscape of the last few years of Drake? Like, let's say starting, maybe starting with Views on. So Views, Views was a proper studio album in 2016. And that was the record just for reference to everybody that featured one dance, it featured Controller. I think, Again, as with everything with Drake, everything gets filtered in the Drake world, but everything still sounds like Drake, which is one of the most unique aspects of Drake's stardom is like no matter what he suctions in. And I think Taylor is, this is true of Taylor, and there's an essence of them that, permeates and takes over that sound. They never feel like they're sort of slaves to what they're dabbling in. And so even though Views was sort of... The, the, one of the aesthetic choices on Views was to incorporate Dance Hall, which is, you know, tied to Toronto, his hometown, because there's a huge Caribbean culture there, uh, but filters it through the Drake world. And then More Life was a mixtape that followed soon after that was very much rooted in like global pop sounds, right? Like Afrobeat, Dancehall... Where where are we with Drake and where does Drake fit in with everything else that's going on in pop?
2: Yeah, I think from Views, you have this album where people kind of thought Drake at the time was kind of trending towards this world sort of sound of taking things from all these cultures and making this creation, you know, the Toronto at the center of the world kind of idea. And Views is kind of thought of this sort of look back at, at Toronto. You know, it's it's one last assertion of like, okay, like, I love Toronto, I love rap, I love Atlanta, I love all these things put together. And then, you move into more life, which is he finally delivers on this promise of, okay, I can make the biggest kind of world-sounding music. Grime, dance like, hall, Afro He's people. literally just, you know, on a globe world tour of just, like, picking up <laughs> things as he travels.
1: I cannot tell who is my friend.
2: I need this between me and, them. Gonna have to teach me and, like, it works, and I think it was super successful. And then from there, we get into kind of complicated territory. I mean, right. you have Scorpion, which
0: is... The album not, that comes next, I, mean, I think that was 2018. 28- it's, yeah, right? 2018. It's yeah. his fifth album. And it features and the, song, the songs you might sort of reference for that are In My Feelings, Nice For What, God's Plan. I mean, he's this is a huge record. And also, you know, these are all number one singles. I mean, Drake, I, I, I just want to make sure everyone's clear. We're still dealing with Drake as like literally a Titanic monolith in the pop landscape at this point.
2: Yeah. And a, in a certain way, it's kind of looked at as a disappointing album, um, even though it has his most number one singles. Yeah. Um, But by that time again... Which is so
0: fucking nuts, Miles. Like, I mean, I cannot... I can't... Like, Drake was so big his whole career. So the fact that we're talking about 10 years in and we're still reaching new peaks of like commercial success is literally jaw dropping because I'm recording these episodes. I've, you know, I've done a bunch of them at this point. This does not happen. Like it's only, only at the tippy tippy top of pop music does an artist at 10 years in just continue to keep building to new commercial heights. I mean, it's really, really unique. I just want to illustrate that for everybody.
2: And it's, it's, I think it speaks to the way that we said before, the world has kind of shaped itself around Drake, right? you know the, the rise of streaming and the rise of YouTube, but you know you have this album Scorpion and it's it has these massive singles with hugely viral videos and and again like at this point like it has a ton of radio play, you know these are the biggest songs in the world Kiki,
1: do you love me? Are you writing? Say you never ever leave me
2: but at the same time there's kind of this nagging notion and it's kind of followed him since then of like oh Drake fell off he's not the biggest he's ever been well everyone's he's wait.
0: everyone ever. waits for the king to topple Miles I mean that's just <laughs> that's just a product of being so big for so long it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier which is like it's so rare for someone to be this huge for so long and I think there's probably plenty of people that are like kind of like what the fuck man like you know it's like it's It is pretty impressive, you know, like you
1: earned it and when you popped off when your exy desired it, I thought you wouldn't want fun a jump that
0: confirmed it track money, Benny I like you know this is a good segue to the Pantheon discussion, so I guess i i per just to put my cards on the table, I miss some of the early Drake persona. Like as much as I do like hard rapping Drake, which we get a lot of these days and fun pop, sort of broad pop Drake of in my feelings and nice for what I love all of that. I personally feel like we've like being so mega famous has hardened him in a certain way. And I just when thinking about contextualizing him in the Pantheon. I sort of wonder like looking at his legacy at up to this point, You know, you brought up sort of the ongoing debate about is Drake over, has Drake fallen off, which obviously runs antithetical to his (laughs) track record on the Hot 100, but I do think it's rooted in a certain feeling, and I wonder if Drake has been driving at the same set of ideas over and over and over and over again to this point where maybe there is a bit of fatigue with it. Like, it can start to feel like self-parody in a certain sense. Like, I have that with more recent Drake material, as much as I love a lot of the songs. I still, I'm getting to a point where I'm like, you know, Drake has defied gravity for so long and been so successful for such a long period of time. But every pop star arrives at a place, or every huge pop star on Drake's level, arrives at a place where you have to re- think your approach and what your idea behind what you're doing is in a risky radically different way and again I bring up Beyonce's self-titled album I bring up Ray of Light I bring up these albums where like artists like very uh, boldly sort of threw out what people came to know about them and like took on a completely different approach and I wonder like are we reaching that phase with Drake like have we reached sort of like the logical conclusion of like the huge big earth-shattering changing ideas that Drake presented to us in 12 years ago you know have we reached that conclusion
2: yeah I wonder the same thing I mean again I do think that this album is such an important inflection point for his career and it's such an interesting time this this one coming up yeah this certified lover boy as he's calling it it's just such a moment where the last one was such a doubling down on what we already knew. Totally. And I do think that part of what made Drake so exciting for his first four albums and mixtapes and everything was constant surprises. Yes. And I don't think on Scorpion, he delivered an innovation. That. Right. Yeah. He did. He, I don't think he delivered that many of them. Whereas I'm hoping on the next album, he can really surprise us something new. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause he 's clearly capable I mean it, you know so much of this I mean he is a genius as a musician as a, as a maker of music as an understander of culture so one has to imagine and he's also extremely self aware like he he drives his own narrative so clearly and he's so aware of what the narratives are about him he must be aware of that on some level that that the world is ready for that but I don't necessarily hear that in the mus- in the three songs he dropped the other day or uh, just no. to put that out there all right so this is a I have a little bit of like tingles talking about it because, because it's a scary thing to put out there. So far, we haven't even really gotten into the. Well, that's not true. We we did we I did record an episode on Madonna, who is obviously in tier one, but it wasn't like a debatable topic. You know, it wasn't like right. me and Rich sat there and were like, "What tier is Madonna in?" Um, so, to me, if we're talking about the pantheon and we're talking about Drake, I mean, we're talking about. Correct me if I'm wrong, the most influential artist of the 21st century, perhaps. One of them. One of the top, let's say, top three. 12 years, pretty much nonstop of... Hits. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, which I should. But I mean, I, I think he has almost over 100 Billboard Hot 100 hits. Yep. So yeah, I think the tension for Drake in terms of the Pantheon is, is Drake in tier two, which is the megastar tier, which is a super rarefied group of artists who have two decades or more of hits, endless hits, cultural dominance. Their legacy is known, will be known far after they've stopped making hits. Or is he in tier one? I mean, I don't even like, I mean, it's like a little bit scary to even broach that topic because it is such a rarefied group of people. And I guess can, tangentially, is he in tier one yet? I guess is the question that I'm trying to get at.
2: Yeah. I think it's such, an, it's such an interesting question for him because so much of the conversation around Drake, a classic Drake conversation is like, is such and such Drake album a classic? Like right. the the notion of like a hip hop hip hop album being a classic is such an established thing, mm. and it is always kind of dog Drake throughout his career, whether he has a classic album or not. And it's kind of a tough question. I mean, answering that question and the tier question, it's they're hard questions because there. I don't think there is a clear yes to
0: to that. Right. Um, take care, then, I guess, would be the one.
2: Yeah, but like. You, are, you wouldn't. There are skip. No, there's some skips. You're saying Miles. There's some yeah, skips. like he I, said that I, again, there are skips. Like, I remember me, him
0: once saying at some point, like, if, "I wish I could go back and cut a few songs." Yeah, like
2: that. exactly. Because there is no one more self aware than Drake. Right. So he, but I mean, like, there's so that. many
0: albums that, like, you know, you know what's one thing I always think about is with classic albums that I think is like kind of a funny and fun aspect of them, is mm-hmm. that when an album is a classic. It doesn't necessarily to me personally mean that it's perfect. it means that its imperfections are part of the enjoyment of it, so like totally um like when I think of some of my like even when I think of you know um I don't know why I'm gonna say four, but I love four <laughs> i don't I don't know if you would yeah. consider four a classic or to me it I think it's it, it's certainly debatable as a classic, but like. There are songs on 4 where I, namely I Was Here, the ballad at the end that like make Mm -hmm. me cringe so hard. I'm like, this is not a good song. But like, I still will listen to it when I listen to 4 because it's part of the experience. It's part of the whole. part of listening to 4. Yeah. I
2: totally get that. Yeah. But then, yeah. but So I would be willing
0: to say that Take Care in spite or because of its flaws is the classic. But I know that this debate rages.
2: Yeah, I could totally buy that. I think again going back to this question of right now, I think right now is what's keeping me from saying yes, he's a tier 1. Right. I think like up until now he is such a solid tier 2 cuz he's so innovative. Right. He's he has longevity. Right. He has such a distinct character. He has distinct error eras like he's such an iconic artist. Yes. You know, he he has songs that are You know, for me to get to tier one or tier two, you have to have songs that are so strong. You Mm -hmm. have to have singles that are so strong that when you hear them for two seconds, you're just like, oh, that's that person. And I could picture them on stage. and I could picture the performance. I could picture the video. Um, And he has that with a bunch of songs.
0: And that will transcend the current moment. Like I, one of my unique vantage points as a DJ is I get to see the way that songs like, either stick or don't, like, over time, even big hits, like, you'll see songs that, like, go off in the moment, they're so big, blah, 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 everyone wants to hear them, and then you get to two, three, four, five years down the road, and, like, they're not going off so much, and then you have certain songs that, like, just no matter what, like, even if, they're, these are kids that didn't grow up with it. Like one, the one that's sticking out in my head right now is No Scrubs. If you play No Scrubs to any audience, whether like they're 15 years old now or not, everyone knows that song, whether they know who TLC is or not. And I feel like Drake's, a lot of Drake's most indelible hits will stand that test of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Um, I agree. And that's, that's, a, that's a key part. And I think the other thing that I'm battling with, which maybe you can help me sort of like get out of is in my like staid 34-year-old man with a very codified idea of like what pop is and what pop stars are. I think part of what makes this a struggle is Drake is a different kind of pop star than a lot of the other people in this pantheon. What he does, the, the, you know, him being kind of squarely a still a rapper, even though we know that those lines, he melted those lines down. He, he's very different then if you look at tier one, like who are these artists, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, you know, Prince like they in a lot of ways, he's, he's remade what pop stardom is and looks like. So it's hard to almost stack it all against each other.
2: A hundred percent. And you think of Drake, like, I also think of the live component of it, you know, right. seeing Drake live, even at his last tour. He's such a unique artist in the fact that, like, he is dancing in an arena. Right. Like, that is, that cannot be understated. Like, he has some dancers that come out for songs, but a lot of the time it is him running around the stage and dancing and rapping his ass off. Right. Like, that, that is no hype man, like, literally just Drake. Right. And he's wearing, like a bulletproof
0: vest and sweatpants. right? Like that is crazy. Right. And he's a, like th- and he's a I mean as much as he's all the things we talked about his he comes from rap. There's not anybody else in this top tier that comes from that background. You know what I mean? Like no. and that's, you know, and I'm not saying that that excludes him by any means. I def, I feel that he's primed to become one of these icons you know, if, if given, you know, those choices. But I think I do agree with you that I don't think he's quite in tier one yet. And I'll tell you what the main thing is for me is what we were just talking about before we got into this conversation, which is I'm waiting for him to surprise me and for the, a, a completely reimagined version of what Drake is that makes me excited about him again. And I'm missing that at this moment.
2: I'm very curious to see, and what I think it could be for me is parenthood. And I think mm. that's like, if he can figure out the trick of that mm. and like really present that as yes. a thing, mm-hmm. I think that like that could be like a brilliant move. And like Jay Z has like with 444 like has touched the waters of that, but mm-hmm. like. I feel like he's told it through the lens of, like, infidelity and therapy. And, like,
0: and Jay-Z, when he released 444, was pretty far off of his commercial peak. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little mm-hmm. bit of a different story. We were already sort of, like, in way in legacy territory by it's
2: Ed. Yeah, and it's, like, a niche artistic statement. Right. Like, I felt like, even though it didn't win, I was like, oh, that's, like, shoe in for Grammy. Like, right. it's like, I don't know, it just made so much sense. But I think if Drake could... I don't know. I just feel like like that's a lane or just like doubling down on dance in an interesting way. Like The
0: Parenthood thing is, is genius, Miles, because you know what? What albums have I kept referencing that are like examples of this? Yeah. The self-titled Beyonce album and Ray of Light, two albums which were pop, pop stars in their 30s becoming mothers and sort of incorporating that perspective into their music. You know? I
2: think as pop fans, we spend a lot of time examining the like... Child star to mo- sexy, uh, independent right, yeah. woman pop line, right. and like th- yes, like love that storyline. Sounds great, of course. Da- a cla- like, a classic, a tried and true yeah. classic. <laughs> exactly, but like I do think that there are other narratives in pop music, mm. and like as a man to embrace that is very interesting. And I think again, like who who are Drake's fans? Who are his core audience? Like for a while, it is. Sad boys and women who like to party, right? And it's like, what? It's like, what do those people want? Like, fifteen to twenty years later, right? Like, they want a fun dad. They're like, all dads I and think, moms now,
0: too. A lot of the, them. Yeah,
2: they're sad dads and, <laughs> and moms who want to go out and party. And like, I do think even with Scorpion too, like all the fun songs on Scorpion are like gym and treadmill songs. And I think he's like very aware of that. Yes, too. absolutely. Like he. He's just so conscious of, like, what his audience is looking for. <laughs> songs. That's
0: hilarious. And, like, yeah.
2: And I, I just think that, like, that would be such an interesting thing for him to deliver. And, and I think it would make so much sense.
0: It's funny that you say that also. Because I named two women that, did, that took motherhood and used it to their advantage to reinvent their careers very successfully in pop, right? But I actually think as I was listening to the uh, Justin Bieber album uh, Mm -hmm. this weekend, he hasn't had a kid, but he's gotten married. And, you know, before Beyonce, let's say, before Beyonce, you know, had Blue, like on Four, she really leaned into I'm a wife. That was like the, the, the drill on Four, was like here is me celebrating being a wife and making an extremely engaging, fun pop album about being a wife, which like, isn't necessarily like the most common pop trope that we hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, I when I listen to the Justin Bieber album, you know, I love how much he loves Hailey Bieber. Like, I'm very happy for them. But like, I don't feel like there's like men struggle with that transition in pop harder in some ways than the big women artists do. Like, I think about Justin Bieber. I think about Justin Timberlake. I think about artists that like when they, after they got married, their music becomes less interesting, less, like, whereas Beyonce and Madonna's music became more interesting, more engaging post-motherhood, mm-hmm. post-marriage. A lot of men struggle in that transition.
2: Yeah, I think specifically in rap of Chance the Rapper, it's like... Oh my God, this, exactly who I was thinking It's like. like an insane example of, like, someone whose career was firing, like, the train was going at a million miles per oh hour, God. and then he drops this album that lands just, like, an absolute dud and Rick. most of it is him just being like i love my wife oh, i hate that album sorry and much, yeah, I really hate that album. no i mean it's i saw a tiktok yesterday that was like talking about like oh my god the best it was like the best day ever chance is releasing his <laughs> album and it's like 30 minutes later like i want to die yeah. and it's like that really was the reaction like he literally had to cancel an entire tour like, it made
0: it, it made me rethink, like, every, I was like, wait, I was into this, man? Like, what was yeah. I thinking? <laughs> I was like, the co- it was like, was The
2: comments bad. were killing me. It was literally like, I took a, my Chance 3 hat to college that <laughs> semester. It never left under my bed.
0: And I was like, oh. Damn. It's so sad because Chance like, seems like a really nice guy, but man, that was a brick. But yeah, I think Drake finding a way to mature as a pop star and a rapper in a way that, while still being the biggest, would... Is going to require an innovation and would be thrilling to engage with. Like I, and if anyone can do it, it's him. You know, but I, totally. I, I have yet, I have yet to feel that that has happened. And so for me, I think he's still an ascendant tier two megastar. You concur? I agree. All right. Well, before we go, um, I like to go out on like with Drake, he's so big. It's like, are there lesser known Drake songs? I'd love if you could share like just some of your favorites, but maybe that are a little bit less obvious. It can be an album cut. It could be anything, but just something that you think is just like a great Drake song that like is underappreciated that you'd like the audience to hear.
2: It's like definitely a known song. Yeah. But I do think that like, like it's, a very big song. Yeah. But I do think that like too good, his collaboration with Rihanna, Uh like his maybe lesser known collaboration with Rihanna (laughs) is still like an incredible song. Like I listened to it the other day and I was like, I was like, I know this isn't work or, you know, some of their, like, bigger collaborations, but I'm like, wow, this is an amazing song. They I'm have like,
0: such good chemistry together, like, they, on, on, on music, in music, not in a word show, except in speeches, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, yes. All right, so we're going to go out on two good. Miles, thank you so much. This was awesome.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I
0: love to uh, You are a wealth of knowledge and a lovely person. So thank you so much. And um, I hope that you'll come back and talk to me maybe about maybe a girl next time. Or maybe you'll just be my resident
2: <laughs> dude. Seriously, I'm so masked <laughs> today. I've never been this masked in my life.
0: <laughs> we appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to ask you if you're okay. My friends always feel the need to tell me things. Seems like they're just
0: happy. All right, so that's all she wrote, guys. That was a doozy. And, you know, I was getting nervous here that we were maybe about to crown our first two-to-one ascendant pop star on the podcast. And we didn't quite get there yet, but I do think that we set Drake up for that kind of a slam dunk. If he so chooses, it's kind of on his shoulders at this point. And for now, Drake... Judgment rendered by Miles and myself, Drake is in Tier 2, The Megastars, and we'll just have to revisit that conversation when Drake releases another project or when that time feels right. I want to send the biggest thank you to Miles Tanzer, a genius writer about music and just a wonderful guy, and I'm so, so happy we got to talk for so long about Drake and every other pop star in existence. I just took a running uh, list of all the people that we talked about, and there's literally a good 25 other artists that Drake's career has touched on and has affected or been affected by, which just only centralizes him further as you know the most important pop artist of the last few years and that is something that I don't think any tier raking can take away from him so thank you to Miles thank you all for listening and if you enjoy the podcast please hit subscribe hit five stars leave me a review let me know if you think Drake is in tier one or tier two Follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod, wherever social media exists. Follow me at DJ L O U I E X I V on Twitter and Instagram. And I will talk to you guys next episode. Goodbye. Let's go by too fast.
1: I can't keep track. How long did we last? I feel bad for asking. It can't end like this to take time with this cock up your bomba sit down panita let me see if this is something I can fix you got somebody other